right, well, let's pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time we get to spend together. Uh, Lord, as we're continuing our talk here, Lord, guide and direct us into the things that you would have us know and have us to retain. Uh, help us to think through all the stuff that we're hey. going to do so that um, we can be better uh, apologists, better people that can speak the gospel into others' lives. So, Lord, we ask that um, in your son's name. Amen. Alright, so just a heads up. I had a guy come by. Um, you see those big billboards, big signs that have the Ten Commandments? Yeah. So the guy that does that asked if he could stop by and do a short presentation um, tonight. So that'll be at the end sometime. The guy from Montana that does that? What? The guy that, that paints them and that from Montana? Yeah. Okay. He, he puts them up. <laughs> he, it's just right down the Oh, okay. So there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's going to stop by and all It's pretty cool. Hey, stop being so loud. Okay, so I wanted to go back to point four and give you guys this. So I, I got the right verse. I want to make sure that we see the right verse there. Um, which is, so last week um, we had gone through, I showed you John 14. And then when I clicked over here, I showed you, but it had John 1.14 again, the verse. And so I wanted to make sure that this is actually John 1.18. So this is what it says. I don't know what page that's on. 38. Okay, so on page 38, it's that. This church starts on time. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> To that. <laughs> uh, if, if you guys want to follow along, um, there's a packet of paper. There's only one left. That side. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. The other one's, uh, if we get through all this. So I just wanted to make sure. 38. Yeah, I just want to make sure that we have the right things. So I want to show you that. But I want to show you something that's very interesting. Remember, we're using the RSZ because that's what Zachir and Mike is using. Right? In the, in the notes of the RSV, they make a note of something I thought was very interesting. So they recognize, so this isn't in your notes, this is something new. Uh, they recognize that the word son there is not Huios. We talked about what Huios is, that's one of the, it is not. That word right there is not Huios in the Greek. Uh, it's and Theos. this is from John 1.18. This is John 1.18. Okay. So this is in John 1.18. The word there for son is not Huios. It's Theos, which is God. Okay. Yeah. So that, I just want to, and they point that out, yeah. out. The RSV points that out, which I thought was very interesting. Um, so I went back into the interlinear Greek. Um, and anyone can find this. In fact, Bible Hub, um, if you look online, Google, and you just Google Bible Hub Greek interlinear. Um, you, this is a great resource. You can actually see English and Greek or Hebrew together. Okay, so it makes it very easy. Um, this is how the Greek word reads. God no one has seen ever yet, the only begotten God, the one being in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. And so that's what the Greek says. Totally true. The yeah. only begotten God. Yeah. So... This is one of those things where, you know, the Greek really 
says something that the English doesn't. The English, what the translators do is they bring everything together. So if it's talking about the sun, they keep that going so you understand that's what it's talking about. But actually what the Greek says is this is the only begotten God. Right? So it really emphasizes Jesus' deity in this passage. So I just wanted to point that out because I thought that was interesting that the Zechariah is using this, right? He's using this tra translation to diminish the deity of Jesus. And yet, even in the, the translation he uses, they actually point to his deity, even though <laughs> they would reject it, right? So I just wanted to point that out to you guys. Um, so because I went back to fix it, and I went to the RSV, and I started down this rabbit trail. So I wanted to share that with you guys. All right, so we are on point five now. That's actually where we're at. Okay. So we're on point five. Now, we're going through this. Um, we're going through this, and we're talking about each of the things that he brings up in the video, right? And so we talked about last week how we're going to read the passage in its context, okay, to kind of get a better idea of what's being said. So we're going to be looking at verses 11 and through 18, so the verses around it. Now, like I said, we're not going to... Um, I have shared... Uh, I have shared that. I, I, so. They weren't there, so we came over. Oh, okay. Come on in. Two chairs here. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. This is uh, Philip. Huh? And I my wife Susie, my, my wife Roseanne, yeah. the wives. <laughs> um, so we're just going through uh, something we talked about. We're going through this guy named Zakir Naik. He's a Muslim apologist. Um, What's his name? Zakir Naik. Okay. Um, he's out in Indonesia, um, and so he's talking about how Jesus is not the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. And so we're going through actually all of that to explain why he is. So, um, we're at this point where we're talking about the context surrounding the verses, right? So, again, we're going to use the RSV because that's what he uses. And we've already shown how even when we use the version that he des desires, it still contradicts what he says, right? We've already shown that. So, we're going to go through this right now. So, this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but we, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him have, may have eternal life. So just looking at those, those verses, what can we see within those verses that would point us to anything? Islam? No, not to Islam. No. So what? So we're talking about the only begotten Son. And so through all this, um, one of the things that we talk about is a lot of times we proof text, right? We want to prove something, and so we take a verse and we use that to prove. And so that's what Zachary Nike is doing. He's trying to proof text and say it doesn't really mean this, 
And so one of the things that we have to do as apologists is we have to read things in context mm -hmm. for ourselves. Um, if someone brings out a verse, we want to make sure that verse is in its context, right? So um, there's a perfect example of this. Uh, it's in Job. Uh, it's in chapter 9, and it's one of Job's friends, and he talks about... Try now. I have a, something that wants to install. Um, he's talking about having... Uh, he's talking about uh, this thing that comes over him, this, this uh, dream that he has. And in this dream, he's, he's like a fearful and all this stuff. And it's like, well, if you look at the context, it's not a, a good thing. <laughs> it's a, an evil spirit that is troubling him. And so, but if you just look at that, you could take that out and actually make a whole theology out of it by looking at that one verse. And so it's the same thing here. We're looking at the verses around it. Now, if you remember from last week, what, what are there any things that we talked about last week as far as titles that stand, stand out here? It's the one, Son of God. Son. We talked about the Son of God, the Son of Man right. kind of thing. Right, so what are some of, so this title, Son of Man and Son of God, what titles does he use? Son of Man. He likes Son of man. man. Right, so we see him use two sons of man, and we're just, right now we're just looking at the first uh, passage here, and then we'll drop down to the second part, because he, he changes Son of God, right? Uh, but yeah, so he's talking about Son of Man, and now if you want to get more into context, right, he's talking about to Nicodemus, who's a Jew who would know, know things, right? He would know the language that Jesus is using. But he says a couple of things, so... Um, so verse 13. That's what I was looking at. Okay. What's, what's important about verse 13? Uh, it talks about no one has seen, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended right. from heaven, the Son of Man. Right, so he connects himself, and he's connecting himself back to that Daniel chapter 7 passage that we talked about last week, right? The one like a Son of Man coming in the clouds, coming a dissension here. And so um, you have Jesus talking about this, right? It's, it's, he's, and he's talking about himself, listen, right? And so this whole thing, so as he's talking to Nicodemus here, he's, he's talking to him with this eschatological reality, this end times reality stuff that he's going through. And so he has that, and it's this very, very blatant, right? It's not, in mystery here. He's not like, oh, there's someone out there, right? He's very directly saying who that person is. It's the Son of Man. He that descended, and he's going to go into who that is, right, eventually. Um, but, and then he talks about, he gives the he gives the crucifixion here, right, verse 14. So this Son of Man comes down, he's from heaven, he comes down, and what is the purpose? To be lifted back up. To be lifted back up. But to be crucified, right? Yeah, by that as Moses like the right. snake in the wilderness. Right. And whoever looks and you know, so that whoever believes in him, so kinda of like in the so we when we do this and we actually study it, we would go back into that passage where Moses lifted up, why is he lifting the serpent up and, mm -hmm. and going through that whole thing. Um, 
But so we're just looking at what's going on. And then we get into verse 16, right? Then we come. So it's already in this context of end times type of stuff. Like when Jesus comes, which kicks off the end, right? The, um, the end times. So there's a difference theologically between end times stuff and end of days, right? Or the last days. And so when we're talking about different things like that, so Jesus sees himself as the Son of Man, right? He sees him as a he sees himself as the fulfillment of Daniel's uh, Daniel seven. He sees himself as the suffering servant from Isaiah fifty three. Mm-hmm. So all this is captured. All this Old Testament stuff is captured in these two verses as he's talking to Nicodemus. And so then we go to. The proof text, right? We go to that text now where we're looking at it. So it's the Son of Man that comes from heaven for a purpose, which is to be crucified, right? And so then we go into, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Okay. So what what can we look at in that passage? What what some things that stand out to you? Well, it's his only son. Okay, it's the only son. And this is when we talked about last week, the begotten. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so that is actually if we were going to translate this we would use the word, the the better translation, right, would be the begotten. Yeah. Okay? But we talked about last week, the reason why um, translators don't use that is because it is a, it's misunderstood in our time because of what Zachary Knight does. So Zachary Knight takes the word begotten and he uses another idea of it, which is sexually produced. But as we showed last week, the word originally did not mean that. It just means um, from. from, of kind. That's all it means. And so it's a good translation, but for us, it's not as good because we misinterpret it, right? So that's why it's used only son, or in some cases, it's one and only son. Adding begotten makes it out of context, right? Right. So Is that because it's been redefined, basically? Yeah. It's, it's a change of language. Okay, all right. right. So if you were to go back to the like Webster's Dictionary, it would be in a correct definition? Um, it would have multiple definitions. It would have multiple. Yeah. So, yeah, see, so that's the problem with um, older translations, right? Um, like the King James Version is a good translation, but it uses words that we don't use today, right? And so if a modern-day reader starts reading King James and he doesn't know or she doesn't know, what that word actually means to the translators of the King James, then they might go off and believe something really strange, right? And this is actually where, like, um, in Mormonism, uh, why they have some weird teachings, because in the King James, there's already a disconnect, even though they're closer to that translation, there's already words being changed in, the, in their modern vernacular. The definition. Yeah. That's and dangerous. so. It is dangerous, and so that's why it's really important for us to go back. Okay, so when this translator translates this, what did they use that, why did they use that word, right? So when they use the word begotten, 
they understood it as it's originally done, one from a kind, right? Where we don't, we we have this idea like Zachary Knight does. It's a sexual begotten. You know, everybody on Google says not. Yeah, and so we actually showed some of that too as well in our racism thing when we talk about the definitions of words changing did, even within 50 did, years. Did, I don't think they do now, but did Mormons kind of believe that Elizabethan English was what was spoken in heaven? Well, you know, I don't know for sure. I just, I'm so like, I kind of, sure. I've gotten the impression. It, hey. Yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. I've never heard that, but maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, so, but one, some of the things I want us also to see here is he uses his preferred, now we talked about last week what was Jesus' preferred title of himself, right? And we showed uh, the times Jesus uses the titles. Um, yeah, and Son of Man is the, the majority. It's like 72 times, I think it is, um, where Son of God is only about four times. So that is something we need to recognize. And here, and we talked about also last week, the, we, we kind of get those terms, those titles mixed up. Because when we think of Son of Man, we think of Son of Humanity. Yeah, and Son of God being Son of God. Um, but actually, in the, in the theology, it's backwards. It's the Son of God's, and that's that Son of God pointing back to Seth, um, the sons of God, or Israel as the sons of God. Um, and the Son of Man is pointing back to Daniel 7, which is that a divine being. And so it's interesting that he does this, right? So he calls himself the Son of Man as he descends, right? And then the Son of Man must be lifted up, but then he switches to the Son of God. Why? How do you think? Why would he switch? Why would he switch titles? Context? To emphasize? He, he is emphasizing something. Identity. His identity. Right. He is. He, we're actually, in this passage, we're seeing the full identity of Christ, the fully God, fully man, yeah. in this one passage, just within a couple of verses. The Son of Man descends, right? That's the divinity. That's the, the divine descends. But now that he's here, what is he? He's fully God, fully man. Yes, he is. And so now he uses the Son of God to tie both of them together. And who do you have to believe in? Jesus, right? The only name under heaven and earth that we can say is Jesus. And so here's him bringing that all together, just in this short passage. But if we just take, like Zachary Knight does, and we just focus on verse 16, we can make the passage or the verse say whatever we want to, right? Instead of fully grasping what Jesus is actually saying, he's revealing his full mission in this passage, the dissension, the cross, the, the only way, right? Um, John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, all this is found in this one passage as he's talking with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is not a dumb person. He fully grasps what's going on. And this is why it's so hard for him through the passage to accept Jesus. Okay? So, let's talk about in the context of the whole of the gospel, uh, the gospel of John. So we just talked about in the passage. Now let's show some parts of John also. John 5, 25-26 says things like, that, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now it is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, 
has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. See how he uses both? Can I just share something? Yeah. About brother? You know, one thing that's helped me a lot in my 75 years when I'm going through the Word of God and I'm pretty much in it a lot of time, I, I, what I want to do is I, I want to start interpreting what the word he or the pronouns are or it or them. So I go through, I say, truly I say unto you, the hour is coming as now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those that hear will live, whereas the Son has life in himself. So God has granted the Son to have life in himself and as he has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because Jesus is the Son of God. So I want to interpret. So a lot of times people, so he, who's he? That's the Father has given granted the Son life. So we want to interpret. It really makes it more interesting and you can't wait to get back into the Word as you interpret those pronouns and who is it. And So it gives you, I think, you a better understanding if you would take the time and try to interpret those pronouns. Just like, who gave granted the Son? Well, the Father, I mean, does that make sense? So when you go through there, it just helped me a lot. And if it's something that you might consider doing. Also the study and identifying. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. nice. Thanks, good one. All right. So maybe we, okay. All right. Oops. So we're keeping going. We're just walking through John. All right. We're just keeping going. Oh. But when Jesus heard it, oh, okay. Well, when Jesus heard it, he heard it, talking about what he had already heard, uh, he said, This illness is not unto death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. So we're just walking through all of John, just kind of seeing this idea that it's the Son of God. We have Son of Man type language, and he's going back and forth, and it's about him. And, oops. and so finally, we get to this last part. Now, we're not doing an exhaustive study of John, so you've got to do this on your own. Right, uh, to really see everything, but we're just walking through it. Now, the, now Jesus did many other signs, and now this is John's commentary, right, on the whole thing. So this is his "Why did I write this?" Mm -hmm. section. He says, "Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name." Mm -hmm. You know. So, one of the early uh, struggles of the church, not the, not the, in a sense of the church struggle believing this, but in a sense of outside influences asking, you know, attacking the church, um, is this idea, well, it, the comprehension of Jesus being deity was not the problem at the time. The problem was that he was fully human as well. And so that was one of the first things that I, the church actually had to deal with because all these other the idea of a God coming down was not something that was out of the realm of the people's possibility. It was the Jews, but as far as the Greeks. And so you see Is that the Gnostics? Uh, yeah, Gnosticism, but you also had other people like um, oh, what's his name? Arian? Because um, uh, he believed that he was a created being. Yeah. Um, and so you had other beliefs as well, but Gnostics are one of them. But, yeah, yeah. Don't want them. yeah, but there's several out there. All right, so but this is just reading the passage in context, making sure that we're not just reading a verse, but we're reading the really, like we said before, should be at least the 10 verses around it, the 10 verses before that, and 10 verses. So we're talking about 30 verses to read one verse. And then on top of that, we should be also putting that 
that verse into the context of the whole of the book we're reading, right? To make sure that it's also within the theology of that book. And then also you could go even further <laughs> and go into the, the New Testament, right? Or into, and into the whole of the Bible where all of it runs together. So let's move on to point six. And we already, we already covered this, but we just want to emphasize this one more time, okay? Um, because this is important, right? We, so we already talked about this. Uh, Jesus calls himself Son of Man, sending two times. We're just um, giving this understanding because when we start talking about Son, and we already talked about what the Greek is and all that, um, we just want to make sure that we're covering every single basis. Okay, so this is just a reference, Mark 14. It says, But he was silent, made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Um, and Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man see at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard uh, his blasphemy. And that's the big thing here is the blasphemy because Caiaphas right, uh, rightly understands what is being said. Right? He understands that he is referencing Daniel 7. And we've already talked about all this stuff, but this is important. Okay? So... Um, and this is Daniel 7. So here it is. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And you can continue on that, and he actually gains the kingdom eternal um, in verse 14. So, um, so, this is, so stuff like this is important. Why does he use... And we're just getting more into it. Um, I told you we would go deeper, right? And so, why is he writing the clouds? You know, some of these things, why is he writing clouds? Okay, um, because in ancient, we actually did this a couple weeks in our sermon series. We talked about um, Bell or Baal, however you want to say it, um, and how he was the thunder god. Well, he was also the cloud writer. And so the um, Israelites said no. Yahweh is the cloud writer. He is the true God. And so when we start seeing things of cloud language within the Old Testament, it's actually a response or a direct attack on Bel worship. This idea that Bel is the cloud writer and the Israelites are saying no. And so you get passages like this in Deuteronomy 33.26. There is none like God. And I'm horrible at Hebrew. Jeshurah. Yeshua, uh, who rides through the heavens to, to your help and in his majesty through the skies. This is a direct attack on Bell, saying, No, you are not the cloud writer. You're not the one that goes to the heavens. So, but what he's doing, and we need to recognize what Jesus is doing, and he uses that, that term, Son of Man, he, it's a direct connection with Yahweh. Okay, this isn't like a bell thing. And for the Jews, they would, they would automatically re recognize this. For us, it's a little more we have to go through. And, um, but he, So when he says things, like in John, in that passage, John um, 11 through 18, when he says, Son of Man, that direct reference to Daniel 7, to Nicodemus, it's a... This guy is calling himself Yahweh. This guy is calling himself Adonai. This guy is calling himself, you know, the Lord of Hosts. This 
This is not something that is under the radar. And this is really important because in a, a different one, in our different um, one that we'll go over with Zachary Knight, Zachary Knight asked the question, where does Jesus say, I am God? And he says, where are those three words? I am God. Well, in English, Jesus never says, I am God. In those three words. And so, but, what he does is he calls himself Son of Man. This is just one thing. And we'll actually show how Jesus doesn't say it in three words. He says it in two words in Greek. But we'll, we'll get to that. But he keeps calling himself the Son of Man. Why? Because it's a direct connection to Yahweh. Basically calling himself God um, to the Jews. Okay? So, and this really emphasizes that point. So, in John 10, 31 through 33... Jesus is, you know, he's teaching, right? And he's doing all these things. He's, cat, he's healing and all this. And it says, The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these do you stone me? And Jesus is making a very purposeful question here. I'm doing good stuff. Why are you going to hurt me? Right? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we stone you, but for blasphemy. And again, so we saw in Mark, right? Blasphemy. Why? Because he called himself the Son of Man, right? Which is that direct reference. Okay? Again, he's calling himself, he's equating himself to the Father. He's making them one. And he says, uh, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They recognize that Jesus was calling himself God. Fully God. Fully man. And so these Jews recognize that, and that's why he's being killed. That's why he goes to the cross. And a lot of times people say, especially in progressive Christianity, they'll say things like, well, they didn't like that he was a loving person. He would love everyone, and so they wanted to kill him because he was loved. No, they killed him because he was claiming to be fully God, and the only one that could bring salvation. And so that's huge stuff that he was doing. All right, uh, let's talk about the virgin birth. His member, Zachary Knight, brought up the virgin birth. We're kind of going kind of fast. Um, so this is what Zachary Knight said, okay? So again, going back to that video, this is what he said. He says, and if you say, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, is God or Son of God because he was born to Mother Mary, Quran gives a reply in al Imran. Surah chapter number 3, verse number 59. Now, he speaks it in Arabic. Not writing that down. Okay? <laughs> um, so, we're just doing the English part. It says, that when they say, so this is the, the surah, okay? Uh, that when they say the similitude of Jesus in front of Allah is the same as Adam, meaning the, the, the similarities, right? Uh, they were born from dust and said, B, if you say that Jesus Christ is God because he had no father and only mother, then Adam, peace be upon him, is a greater God. He had no father and no mother, according to the Bible, right? So this is what Zachary Knight said. Uh, he's using this idea that, um, that, so this is what he's saying. Christians believe Jesus is the son of God because he was born of a virgin, right? So that's what he's saying. Now, that's not why Christians believe he is the Son of God. Right? That is one piece to the overall puzzle. Right? This is just one thing. There's a whole bunch of other things. But he's taking it, that's why 
Christians believe it. And so now he's making it, so we already can say it, that is wrong, right? But he's, so now, but he's taking that and he goes, so Adam is a greater God in the, and he's saying that this is by Christian thought, logic. yeah, by Christian logic, that Adam would be a greater God because he has no father or mother. Now, we would reject that because it, it's not based on Mary, that he is the son of God, right? That's just one part of it, right? And so, but, so let's, so let's go deeper into it. So Muslims actually do accept the virgin birth, okay? So we need to understand that they, they do accept it uh, because this is what the Quran says. So this is Surah 3, uh, 45 through 48. And mention when the angel said, O Mary, indeed Allah gives you good tidings of a word from him whose name will be the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, distinguished in this world and, um, and the hereafter and among those brought near to Allah. He will speak to the people in the cradle and in maturity and will be of the righteous. She said, My Lord, how will I have a child when no man has touched me? The angel said, Such is Allah. He creates what he wills. When he decrees a matter, he only says it be, and it is, and he will teach him writing and wisdom and the Torah and the gospel. Okay? So the Muslims do accept the virgin birth. Okay? Um, and we actually, when we go through our Muslim teaching, we actually go through a lot of what they believe and we're based on Christianity. And then we give why, or, or, or at least my uh, hypothesis. So, what Christian, and this is actually a question, what Christian claims that Jesus is God based solely on the virgin birth, right? And that was just that, that piece, right? <laughs> I've never met a Christian that says, the only way we know Jesus is the Son of God is because he was born of a virgin. I've never met a Christian that would say that because there is, again, it's one prophecy among about 300 specific, right, about 3,000 um, alluded prophecies. So, so it's different. But here is that prophecy, right? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman um, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I'm, put, I'm leaving them in those references because we're going to go through each of them. Real fast, okay? So this, again, this is the RSV, all right? So, uh, see, so I want you to see, he's using the RSV, right? And so we're also using the RSV because we want to see as best we can and deal with it. So the RSV says, young woman, okay? How many of you have heard that translation? Mm -hmm. I don't know, RSV. Oh, well, RSV, yeah, it's a... Re Revised standard version, yeah, okay. but I mean not not the translation itself, but that way of translating this behold a young woman mm -hmm. I've heard young maiden um, I've heard young woman. There was one that said girl. One, yeah, I've heard girl as well um, And so but most translations will translate it as virgin okay? And they actually give the this is in their notes, okay? So they give this note that the word hahama uh, means both, and this is actually one of these verses or these prophecies that are actually it's a it's a double prophecy in Hebrew. Uh, there's two prophecies here. One is um, something that happens right away with Isaiah himself, but then there is a greater 
prophecy, and that's the messianic prophecy that goes along with it. And so uh, it's interesting that they use this word, though, because it, it, make, it makes it, so God's saying, I'm double prophesying here by using this word. Instead of just using one that just means girl, or one that just means virgin. He's specifically using a word that means both. So it's one of those interesting things. Um, next is, um, so it says, shall conceive and bear, right? They say, or is with child and shall bear. Again, it's one of those, it's part of that double prophecy. So it's just, you know, so when you start looking at this, so, so, and it's literally and bear, and bear shall become pregnant. Um, but here, it's interesting. So Emmanuel, and shall, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And they put it here, that is God is with us, right? That is the, right? That's the translation we all, in our Chris, Christmas, right? Stuff, we all do that. And so, but the word Hebrew is El, right? God, amongst, right? So it's just one of those interesting little things. So, so they, they bring that out. So this is not just a flutter of a yeah, verse. Yeah. This is really specific that it is a dissension of God. Right? God descending to us. So, Alright, so but then we have more to that, right? So you have the prophecy of 7 and 14 and you have the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. This is the other part of the Christmas, you know, when we talk about Christmas verses. And so we start going in here, and this is actually really interesting, right? When we start actually going through this one, so that son, okay, and now we're talking about that second part of that prophecy. It's the God descending. It's, it's not the one that's going to happen right away. It's the messianic part of it. And Isaiah goes into it. For unto us, or sorry, <laughs> for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called. Now, there's actually a whole bunch of stuff in that first part. The government will be on his shoulders. Um, we can talk about how I, Daniel 7 is actually a part of that whole idea coming later, but we're not going to focus on that. I just want to bring our attention to a couple of these things. Uh, his name will be called, and we're not going to cover counselor, but that is a part of it. But just these three. Um, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay? Of the increase of the government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from his time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay? So we're going to go through each of those just real fast. And this is where we're going to end tonight. El Gabor. Aviyah and Sar Shalom. Okay, so you have Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Everlasting Father, basically, and the Prince of Peace. Okay, and then the Zil, Adonai Tizvach. Okay, so Adonai means Master of the Universe, uh, Tizvach means God's leadership and sovereignty. Okay, so but let's look at his name is going to be El, that's the God part, right? Gabor, and we actually went through this in our Christmas thing of all what all each of these means, but just this idea that he is not just a child, right? He's not just a child. We actually can see in this passage the whole 
the fullness of the Trinity, but we're not getting into that part either. Um, but we see the fullness here is the mighty God. That, okay, all hold stop. Later on in Isaiah, God says, There is no other God before me, nor come after me. Amen. So, at the beginning of Isaiah, when he says this, to the Jews it has to be, what? Right? How can this, this child's going to be God? How is that possible? Yeah. And so this is huge. And then the Father eternity. This, and this brings in the whole, this, you know, talking about the Trinitarian understanding of who God is, the complexity of who God is, and all this, that's hard stuff. And he's going to be called the Father of eternity. It is everlasting. This is where Jesus is on the Alpha and the Omega, right? Um, Revelation, so on the beginning and the end. This is that type of understanding. This is why Jesus can claim that, because he, he's a God. And then the Prince of Peace. How can he build both Father and Prince, right? How can he be both King and Prince? And so this, and then the, the Wonderful Council brings the wholeness of the Trinity together. And then this, the zeal of Adam and as well. So the master of the universe, and it refers to his leadership, his sovereignty. So God is, and this is where we get that word beget, right? God begets God. Right? The Father begets the Son because they are one, but they're not, you know, then we get into the Trinity, we're not getting that. So, but this is just important stuff. Because how, then we have to ask the question, right? How does the early church, or in fact, the, specifically the disciples, do this stuff? So, Matthew 1 22 through 23, the angel addressing Joseph, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, there, they zero in on that messianic part. Okay? And then Luke says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, going back to Isaiah 9, right? All that, the throne, all that language is there. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how shall uh, this be since I have no husband? Right? And so connecting the surah, the Quranic surah in here, mm -hmm. the Quran is correct in recognizing that Jesus has no father. Mary was a virgin. But they miss it. Mm -hmm. They miss the God who came down. So even though they have an understanding, they have a skip. They skip it. And so here's a couple. Oops, here's a couple things. Um, and Mary said to the angel, "How shall this be, since I am the husband?" We want to zero in on this. It's said then, Mary to the angel, "How will this be, since a man not I know?" All right? It's that intimate, sexual no of the of mm -hmm. the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so this is just really important because it's not just that he doesn't have she doesn't have a husband. It's that she has she is pure. This is the virgin. It's not that she's a young maiden who's 
Mary. She's the virgin. And so this is where we talk about that double part of the, the scripture. Okay? Man, I know probably to know, so this is just getting more into that, deeper into it, probably, probably to know, especially through personal experience, first-hand acquaintance, experientially known. So that's just what that word means. So it gets really graphic there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really telling you what's going on in the passage. Um, it also means to come to know, to recognize, to perceive. So how how has Mary not known a man as a husband or in the context of having a child through sexual activity? She she doesn't know nothing. Right? She is just pure. pure. Yeah. And this is that fulfillment of that scripture. <clears throat> and so, all right. So we're going to stop there. Um, and then next week we'll we'll finish this and actually...